Lord, we're so thankful tonight that we can gather together, that we still have the freedom to do this in this country, Lord, and to hear from heaven, Lord, your word is just straight from the throne room of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our unbelief tonight, Lord. I pray that we would allow you to expose it in our hearts. And Lord, in place of that area of that where we struggle with doubt, I pray that you would fill us with faith tonight, faith to believe you for miracles like we've been praying about, singing about. Lord, you're the same God. You have not changed at all. And Lord, I pray that you would just make that very real to us tonight, just how faithful you are. In all things, despite what we see, despite how we feel, you remain the same. You never change. And we can place our anchor deep in the ground in that reality. I just ask this in Jesus' name. So last week we looked at God's faithfulness. Just um, for Renee, we've been going through, we just started this book, Becoming Women of Faith. And this week we're facing or encountering our doubt. Because how many here really struggle with doubt at different times? Yeah, I mean, we all do. If we didn't raise our hand, we're not being honest because we all struggle with unbelief. And you're going to see that with biblical examples of others that God used mightily, but yet they struggled with unbelief at different times in their lives. So last week when I said God wants us to have faith in his faithfulness and God's faithfulness is unconditional, I just want to give you some scriptures to back that up because I felt like I didn't give you enough scriptures on that because somehow we really don't believe that. If we're honest with ourselves, we think we have to earn his faithfulness or have to work to get his faithfulness. I shared this last week, Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Aren't you thankful about that? Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? All his promises are yes and amen. We heard that in there. They're all yes and amen. When he says, he does. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant of loving devotion for thousands of generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And again, we saw that last week, how we're here today in our generation and God is still revealing his mercies. They're new every single morning to us. Romans 3 verse 3 says, What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? No. You can't nullify God's faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 1 9, God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord, he's faithful. He is faithful. Titus 1 verse 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, God cannot lie, promised before time began. Maybe some of us need to write that somewhere where we can see it. God cannot lie. Titus 2 verse 2 and verse 13, chapter 2 verse 13, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He can't deny himself. It's who he is. So God wants us to have faith in his faithfulness, in who he is, his character. The complete Jewish Bible always translates faith as believe or trust. He wants us to believe him. He wants us to trust him no matter what it looks like, no matter what comes against you, no matter what kind of opposition you're facing. He wants you to believe that he is faithful to his children and he doesn't fail us. Our faith will be tested, yes. We'll look at that later on. 
but he's there for us. How many times have we seen that he's there for us? Webster's Dictionary defines trust, and we touched on this last week a little, as an assured reliance on character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. So again, we're looking at our Heavenly Father and who he is. If you remember in Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 19, this was written to the Jewish believers, and Jeff alluded to it somewhat in there, the children of Israel, but I'm going to read this to you. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Consider him. As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, and they tried me, and they saw my works for 40 years. And we have the account of that in the Old Testament, how faithful God provided them in 40 years. Their sandals didn't even wear out. They had food to eat. Water to drink. He carried them. But he says, I was angry with that generation. And he said, they always go astray in their heart. And they've not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. And then we're warned, beware, brother, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief will cause us to depart from the living God, to start trusting in our own self, our own way, our own thinking. But exhort one another daily, that's why we're here. This is what we're doing when we gather, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We have to hold on to the confidence we have. Is it in ourselves? It's in Christ. In all the promises. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And the commentary on this is found in Numbers 13, where you read the account of the children of Israel going through the wilderness. And if you remember, God made them a promise. You are going to go into the promised land. I'm giving it to you. I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are entering into that land. So 10 spies went ahead to spy it out. And what happened when they came back? They brought an evil report to God's people, an evil report. There's too many giants in the land. There's too many obstacles. We're not going to be able to do this. They forgot God's promise. God said, no, I am giving it to you, but you have to go in and conquer, take possession, overcome the enemy in the land. That's why we pray here, right? God, push back those forces of darkness. Do we really believe he's doing it? He is doing it. He is doing it. They believed a lie, like we heard tonight that we don't believe the lie. This is too hard. It's not based on us. <laughs> it's on who he is. And if he told us to go forward to conquer the land, we have to in faith. What was the word the Lord gave us for this new year? To walk by faith and not by sight. That was the word he gave to us. Walk by faith. And we're all being tested in it, right? To some level, our faith is really being tested since we started this new year. But here we are. We haven't quit. We're still here. We're still gathering together. 
we're still a part of the body. So we have to realize, yes, there's enemies in the land and they saw they were too strong to conquer and they weren't trusting the Lord. And as a result of that unfaithfulness that they had, saying basically, God, you're not good and you're not keeping your promises and you're not doing the things I want you to do the way I want you to do it. He was angry with them. They never stepped foot into the promised land. That whole generation died off. The young ones went in. That's why it's good you young ones are here. Because God's going to take you in. He's going to take you in. (laughs) I'm so excited about it. What God is doing. Different synonyms for unbelief is atheism or discredit. So when we say, God, you're not good. Or we struggle with unbelief. We're basically living like Christian atheists. We discredit him. We distrust. We mistrust. Rejection. Unbelieving. Unfaithful. Merriam-Webster thesaurus on doubt says it's mistrust. Skepticism. Suspicion. Uncertainty. Now you can see why Hebrews says it's an evil heart. Because when we have unbelief in our heart, this is what we're basically towards God. It's towards God. It's saying, God, you're not good. Because if you were good, you would be doing it this X, Y, and Z, whatever way X, Y, and Z we want it to be. So how this works out in any relationship, unbelief says, I can't trust you to help me, so I have to handle everything myself. I can't trust you to help me. So I have to handle everything myself. She's intrigued. I love it. She's like, (laughs) I can't trust your decisions, so I second guess everything you do. This is what it looks like in a relationship. I can't trust that you won't hurt me, so I will hold back and not let you see the real me. I can't trust that you won't leave me, so I must do whatever it takes to keep you. That's how it works out, the unbelief, in any kind of relationship. Some biblical examples, now we'll bring it down to biblically, with different ones that struggle with unbelief. Another commentary on Hebrews 3, confounded, found in Deuteronomy 1, verse 19 through 36, and I'm not gonna read all the scriptures because there's just way too much in there, but you can look at it again. What you find in that portion of scriptures, Moses is rehearsing to the children of Israel their journey to the promised land. You see that. You see that he's constantly rehearsing that. And don't we have to do that? We have to constantly remind ourselves that God pulled us out of Egypt. He got us out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea for us. We went through on dry land. He did miracles for us. So many miracles, so many promises he's given to us. Just like the children of Israel on their journey to the promised land. And in verse 31 in Deuteronomy 1, it says, I'm sorry, 21, the reality that the Lord, their God, had set that land before them and they were to go in and possess it. As the Lord God of their fathers had spoken to them and they were not to fear nor be discouraged. And how many times when we're struggling with unbelief, fear creeps in, we get discouraged. And again, this is why we need this fellowship because we help one another when we're struggling in our faith, when we are fearful of the unknown, when we do get discouraged, we come together and God encourages us And it's amazing that out of the 12 men that went up to spy out the land, only two came back with a good report. Only two. And they said, it's a good land, which the Lord our God has given us. Look at the fruit. It's a good land. But look at what they were saying. And they had experienced the miracles of God in the wilderness for 40 years. They said to the Lord, because the Lord hates us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us, in verse 26. How can they think that way? 
After all he had done for them, they still doubted in his goodness. That's a strong word. God hates us. And they discouraged the others by what they were saying. You know, it's amazing how when we're in unbelief, the things that we say can discourage other people. We have to be so careful with what we say. Are we expressing faith or are we expressing doubt? See, they were discouraging the people, saying the people are greater and taller than we. They're giants. There's giants in the land. And Moses told them in verse 30, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be terrified of them. Why? Because the Lord your God, he goes before you. He will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the ways that you went until you came to this place. That was the promise. They had seen the miracles of God. And yet verse 32 says, yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tent to show you what way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Verse 34 says, and the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath saying, surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give to your fathers except Caleb and his children and Joshua and the little ones and your children shall go in and possess the land. Therefore encourage him for he shall call Israel to inherit it. So you see there, just the whole commentary for that Hebrews chapter 3. And really it's written so that we can learn from their example what not to do. Not to murmur, not to complain, not to get critical, not to question God, not to believe the lies. Because when you see your mind goes there, you start believing lies about who God is, and we don't trust in his promises. When we know he has spoken certain things to us that is in his word, he's confirmed the word to us. Think about Joseph who was in prison, and it says in one of the Psalms that the word of the Lord tried him. And how many times God gives us a promise and yet we don't see it happening, but he's being tried. You know, that word we have, we have to hold on to it by faith and have to keep saying, but God, you said, you said, I haven't written down the date you said it. You said, even though I don't see it happening, I'm going to trust and believe. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight because there's so many other miracles you've done in my life. You're the same. You're the same God. It's, it's neat because here, once again, I'm working on this talk and... I hear Jeff outside, you know, the room. I'm, I'm in my bedroom working on the talk in my chair, and I got my little desk there. And I hear him upstairs in the loft, and I'm saying, he's putting together a song of us. I'm saying, what's he singing up there? I'm curious. Do you know what the song is from this way? We, not for a moment will you forsake me. Not for a moment will you forsake me. And it's like, Lord, you clearly are speaking you want us to trust you. He has no idea what I'm working on. He's caught up in his own message for Sunday. But I was like, okay, Lord, you don't want us to doubt you in anything. No matter what it looks like, you don't want us to, to doubt. So that leads us to Mark 9, verse 14 through 27, the father that had the son. The scribes and the crowds are disputing with Jesus' disciples, and Jesus came to them and asked, and asked, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Verse 19, Jesus answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear you? Bring him to me. Verse 20, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground, wallowing and foaming at the mouth. And this has been happening since childhood. In verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. They saw the miracles. Again, the disciples saw Jesus doing miracles everywhere he went. But yet they doubted. And Jesus says, oh, faithless generation. He probably would say the same thing to our generation too, today. How long shall I bear with you? Don't you really believe who I am, who I say I am? Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt me? Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but please help my unbelief. Please help my unbelief, Lord. Encountering doubt, that's what we're looking at this week. You think it's okay to cry out to Jesus like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Lord, I believe, but I don't know how you're going to do it. It seems impossible to me, but I remember the scripture that says, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible, especially when you're believing for salvation, because in the context of that portion of scripture, it refers to the salvation of a soul. Who then can be saved, the disciples asked. With man, it's impossible, but not with God. Not with God. So I love verse 25 to 27. The deaf and dumb spirit came out of him and entered him no more. And Jesus said in verse 29, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. We always think it's referring to the demon, but it's referring to unbelief. When we fast and when we pray, we press into God, right? We're in the word more. Our faith rises. We believe him for miracles. When we fast and pray, that unbelief is pushed out. And we're in the reality, God, this is not too hard for you. You can do this. You can do this. It's your desire. What we prayed for tonight, souls, it's his heart. He desires it more than we pray in the way that we pray. I mean, how does he agonize before the Father for souls? Well, let's look at John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, there was no greater prophet than John the Baptist, Jesus said. And yet, when he was arrested in Luke 7, verse 18 through 23, he had a crisis of faith. Verse 19, he, he asked the disciples, are you, go ask him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one we've been waiting for? You know, sometimes we could be in a dark, dark place. I can't imagine what that prison cell was like. But we could be in a dark, dark place where we really have a crisis of faith. And we doubt everything God's word says. And Jesus so lovingly, I'm sure he said this so lovingly in verse 22, 23, go and tell John the things you've seen and heard. That the blind see, so only Messiah can do that. That the lame walk, only Messiah can do that. That 
The lepers are cleansed. Only Messiah can do that. The deaf can hear. The dead are raised. The poor have this gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who's not offended because of me. And isn't that so beautiful when we have a crisis of faith like, like that? When we're in doubt, he brings a word. He brings a word personally to us. And it's just like, whoa, what was I thinking? Of course. He's still on the throne. He's still sovereign. He's still in control. Why am I doubting him? But I love how he speaks to our unbelief. How many times he speaks to our unbelief and he encourages us. You can trust me. You can trust me. I got this. Don't worry. Rest is evidence of faith. We know we're resting in who he is. We know we're in faith. When we're not anxious inside, there's total peace. Our mind, we're not losing sleep over it. We could sleep like babies. Rest is the evidence of our faith. If there's no rest, that means okay. I'm going through a crisis here of my faith, trusting in who God is. But then he speaks to us, right? Through his word or through another brother or sister or a song might come on the radio. I can't tell you how many times I might have been driving, especially when we left the other ministry. I was like, I knew God was calling us out, but there was so much other stuff I was wrestling with. And I would have the radio on and... Man, it would be like Jeremy Camp was singing these songs that were just ministering to me, but it was like Jesus was singing to me through him, through him. And I was like, okay, Lord, this is all going to work out. I don't know how, I don't know what it looks like, but it's going to work out. It's going to work out. There was a quote in the Bible study that says, a doubting temper Fond of dwelling on difficulties and objections is fatal to unity of mind, heart, and will. Doubts, if they assail you, are neither to be timidly shrunk from nor idly played with, but honestly faced and fought. But the grand secret of conviction is to dwell first and constantly on the positive evidence of truth. And we talked about that last week, right? We know God does what he says because of the nation of Israel. I mean, that was promised land. That was the land they were going to inherit. And our generation got to see it. So we know God is true. He's not a liar. But the grand secret of conviction is to dwell first and constantly on the positive evidence of truth. And Jesus, how many prophecies about Jesus that he was going to come and die on the cross? And Jesus came and he died on the cross. (laughs) So many prophecies. If that is adequate, unanswerable, then a thousand questions we cannot at present answer need not trouble us. They can wait, but facts will not wait. Here is a great secret, not only of strength, but rest. And in rest is a reservoir of energy. So we're going to find different times in our lives that, especially during stormy seasons, we've had windstorms personally blowing off our roof all over the place. And it's in those times that we really see where is my faith? Where is my faith when the windstorms come? When you think about the disciples on the water, right? Matthew 14, 22 through 33 there. I have John 6, verse 15 through 21. Jesus said he was going to go up to the mountains to pray. And when you go to Israel, you have the, the Sea of Galilee. And the mountains where Jesus prayed are right there. And it's so high up that you can look down. You can see everything on the Sea of Galilee. You can see the boats. You can see the people in the boats. So Jesus was going up to the mountain and praying, but he had his eye on them. He saw them in the boat. 
He saw them on the water. He saw when the winds were coming. He saw them. His eye was on them. But what did they say to him when they saw Jesus walking on water? They were troubled, right? They said, it's a ghost. They cried out for fear. And Jesus spoke to them. Again, I love how he speaks to our fears, to our doubt, to our unbelief. Be of good cheer. It's I. Don't be afraid. I'm in this. We went to our real, uh, the agent, the Allstate agent the other day, and um, the more we talk with him, I left there and I told him, God's got this. I see the Lord's hand all over this thing. And even though they closed the one um, claim, we have the other claim now with the new, new uh, damage that came on the roof and with the carport. But he's in that storm. He's in the midst of it. And we have to realize, Lord, you, you are wanting to do something in me through this. You, you're working in my own heart. Because where am I putting my trust? That I'm in good hands? The only good hands I'm in is your good hands because that house did not blow away, thank God, or fall on top of us as it was rumbling under us. And I'm asking my husband, are we okay here? He's like, yeah, we're fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. Just watching the clouds go by. It's like, this doesn't look good. I didn't see clouds run this quick. I mean, it was, it was going. But Peter, back to Peter, says, Lord, if it's you, if it's really you, then command me to come to you on water. And there's Jesus again, so sweet. Come. Come. And we all know Peter did fine until he started looking at everything else around him that was against him, that was contrary. He started sinking. And we do that, don't we? The opposition seems greater. I mean, think about the children of Israel again. They were up against the Red Sea. And here the Egyptian army is right behind. God, you brought us out here to kill us. We're going to die. We should have stayed in Egypt. No. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm about to do something. Don't doubt. And you see, Peter... When he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink and he cried and he said, Lord, save me, save me. How did he say it? I wonder, was it a shrieking cry? God, save me, I'm sinking. But what did Jesus say to him again? He stretched out his hand, caught him and said to Peter, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And isn't that true? We have that divine revelation of who he is. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the sea, when the waves are blowing all around us, when our emotions are like the, the waves, just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. We get a revelation of who Jesus is. You're sovereign, Lord. You're in control of all these things. Everything is working out according to your will, according to your timing. And I just have to rest in that. I have to rest in that. Otherwise, you drive yourself crazy, right? You know, Jesus made a promise to those disciples. Do you know what it was? Luke 8, it's the same account, but he said to them before, let us cross over to the other side. He spoke a word. He made a promise. 
Why did they doubt? He was sleeping in a boat, right? Another time he was sleeping in a boat, but he had said to them, we're going over to the other side. You don't have to doubt. And he slept. And again, that windstorm came, another windstorm. <laughs> and the boat was filling with water. And they were in trouble. I mean, it was serious. It was serious. The boat was going to go down, they thought. But it wasn't. If he's in it, it's not going down. The boat's not going down if Jesus is in the boat. And yet they said, Master, Master, we're perishing. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. And immediately Jesus arose. He rebuked the winds and the raging of the water. It ceased. And there was a great calm. And I'll tell you, when you go on that Sea of Galilee, there is such a peace and a calm. It's like Jesus' presence is there. It's, it's strong and it's powerful. You don't know what hits you when you get off that boat. I mean, everyone on the boat experienced it. People like, oh, it's just, what just happened out there? It's like his presence is still there. And he said to them, where's your faith? Where's your face? In Matthew's account, he said, why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. In Mark, he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Matthew Henry said, faith may be true and yet weak. At first, like a grain of mustard seed, Peter had faith enough to bring him upon the water, yet because not enough to carry him through, Christ tells him he had but little. Our discouraging doubts and fears are all owing to the weakness of our faith. They knew before that he was the Son of God, but now they know it better. And isn't that true? Through every storm we go through, through every trial we go through, we know Jesus as the Son of God a little better, don't we? Faith after a conflict with unbelief is sometimes the more active and gets to greater degrees of strength by being exercised. Now they know it is the truth of the truth. So, you know, we shouldn't despise trials when they come because God is working in our hearts in this area to show us what we really do believe about God, number one, but then two, to grow our faith and to refine our character, right? We all have little tiny giants in our hearts that we have to conquer and overcome. Some of those giants are huge that we have to conquer and overcome. And that's why God brings fire. He brings fire. James 1 verses 1 and 2 tells us, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is producing patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, with every new storm that comes, windstorm, it's like there goes more of the roof. So, of course, I have a husband that wants the roof to be done down. But we have to wait. God knows how much more of that roof needs to go before all state will finally cover the whole thing. And this is where I have to trust and rest. And Lord, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Romans 5 verse 3 says, And not only that, but we could glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. God's transforming us in the midst of it, right? In the midst of our struggles with unbelief, doubting him, fear, getting discouraged. We see what we're like in those times, right? When we're struggling with unbelief or doubt or fearful, can we get cranky or nasty? 
with our spouses or our children? Irritated very easy? Yeah. I mean, everyone's saying yeah for those listening online. Yeah, it's true. We do. So he's obviously wanting to refine our character in the midst of it. And that we have hope in the midst of it. Romans 8.18 tells us, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that's what we have to hold on to. You know, one of the things that we don't want to get into when our faith is being tested or when we're going through some kind of trial is not thinking that God doesn't care. Because when you think about Mark's account of the boat situation where the winds were coming in the water, one of the disciples said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He cares. He cares. Children of Israel, back to them. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and the livestock die of thirst, accusing God, accusing God, you're not good. You're not good. And then getting into self-pity. If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? We have to guard our hearts when we're wrestling with our faith, discouraged, fearful, because we could start accusing God of things that are so not true about him. God is faithful, and he's the only one we could trust. So when you look at if we find ourselves in this situation, what do we do? I mean, if you see, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm like right in the midst of this, everything I'm hearing, what do we do? Well, first thing we need to do is repent of our own belief. Repent of not trusting in the Lord. Repent of accusing him of things that are not true. And choose to have faith in God's faithfulness who he is, that it is unconditional. And Psalm 77 speaks of God's faithfulness. It says, I cried out to the Lord with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. Isn't it amazing how when we cry out to the Lord, when we're desperate in that place of desperation, he hears us. He heard the groanings of the children of Israel. He heard the disciples in the boat. We're perishing. We're going to drown. We're going to die out here. He heard them. He saw them. That should be a comfort to us that God sees and he hears the groanings when we are struggling, when we are wrestling. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. Trouble drives us to God. It drives us to him. If everything was going wonderful all the time, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even see our need for him. We wouldn't go to him. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing, desperation. God, when are you going to act? When, Lord? My soul refused to be comforted. Seemed like everywhere I turn, if I might make a phone call and talk to someone, I'm not getting comfort there, I'm not getting comfort. Well, you're not supposed to. <laughs> God is your comforter. God is the one who can speak to those secret places in your heart in those times. Speak that word right into your heart that only he sees and knows. He's the only one that can comfort in that way. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained that my spirit was overwhelmed. And yes, when there's times I'm overwhelmed, I'm complaining just like the children of Israel. And I got to repent. Lord, I repent of my attitude because it's against you. It's against you. Selah. Meditate on that. You hold my eyelids open. I can't even sleep, Lord. I haven't slept in days. 
had sleepless nights over it. I'm so troubled that I can't even speak. I don't even know what to say. Have you had times like that? That you don't even know what to say to the Lord. You're so overwhelmed that it's like, I don't even know what to pray. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance. Now, this is the way out. Consider how he's been faithful to you in the past. See, that's what was lacking with the children of Israel. They forgot all the miracles God did for them. All the things he had provided for them so they wouldn't die in the wilderness. And yet they're accusing him that they're going to die in the wilderness. But he considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. We all have a history with the Lord. I call to remembrance my song in the night. Worship and praise him in the midst of the storm. Worship and praise him in the midst of the storm. You can do that. I meditate within my heart. I remember. I remember who my God is. He's my father. He's my Abba. I'm his daughter. And the worst thing that can happen is really the best thing that can happen. If he chooses to take me, he takes me. If I die in the storm, so be it. It was his will. I'm going to be with him. And my spirit makes diligent search. Diligent search. Lord, what is in my heart right now that is not right? That is accusing you of not being good? Will the Lord cast off forever? Sometimes we can feel that way. And will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah, there's times we feel that way. We wrestle with that. But what's the answer to all those questions? No, he's still the same. And I said in my, this is in my anguish, but I will remember, here we go, another key here. I'll remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your works and talk of your deeds. This is why this is good when we come together. Because we talk about, man, do you know how God came to us this week? You know what he did? Man, he saved my daughter. My daughter. I've been praying for her for a long time. She got water baptized. It's amazing. It's a miracle. So that gives hope to other parents that are praying for their kids. Well, you did it for her. You can surely do it for this one over here. Your way, oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? There's no one. You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. God's been faithful to Israel. A nation that has turned their back on him, but yet he's faithful because of the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God keeps his part of the covenant. He's faithful. The water saw you, O oh God. The water saw you, and they were afraid. The Red Sea. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, and your path is in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. We have to remember what God has done for us in the past so that we don't sink down into doubt. When we're sinking down into doubt, we've forgotten. And that's all Asaph is doing here. He's remembering the history. And you read through the 
Old Testament and you realize, man, how come the Lord had like Moses write it down over and over everything? Because we forget. The human tendency is to forget. So we have to remember and remind ourselves that God is faithful. So if you want to strengthen your faith, this is a homework assignment you could do that's there. And then I put for next week is the gift of God we'll be looking at. Choose a scripture from this chapter that you can that can encourage you when you encounter doubt. Meditate upon it and write it down in your own words. Personalize it with your name or simply write it out in your favorite version as the special word from the Lord to you. Throughout this week, pray over your verse to help you turn to the Lord when you encounter doubt. Rehearse over and over again all the ways God has been there for you in the past and in the present and trust him for the future. Mm. He can be trusted. He knows how this story is supposed to play out, whatever your story is. We have an old state story right now. He knows how it's supposed to play out. Deborah has a story that's going to be played out. Brenda has a story that's going to be played out. Teresa, you have a story that's going to be played out. Renee has a story that's going to be played out. God knows what he's doing. He just wants us to rest Rest and trust him. Trust him. I'm going to ask Jesse if she can close us in prayer. Can you close us? Father, just coming to you, Lord, in honesty. And um, Lord, I know as I was going through this, just the man that cried out, I believe, but how my unbelief in the Lord, I feel like that's a constant in my life. I, I do believe you, but then only to a point, and then I'm asking for um, you to help me in my unbelief, Lord Jesus. God, I just pray for all of us, Lord, that we all have areas we believe you. Um, but Lord, especially in this story, when it comes to our children, wow, it seems like unbelief is just so easy, Lord, and that's what I was repenting of this week, just um, believing for kids, Lord, that you know what you're doing, and um, you're working their salvation out, Lord Jesus, so God, help us in our unbelief, help us to see, Lord Jesus, your heart for our children, for our grandchildren, Lord, and Jesus, that we would uh, hold on to your promises, Lord, that, um, Lord that, that if we raise them up in the way of the Lord, God, that you will use that to work in their lives, to bring them all the way to So God, help our, our faith to grow this week, Lord. Help us when doubts arise, when the storms are coming, Lord. We've been given lots of things um, tonight that we can use to grow our faith. So help us to apply it. Yeah. Yes, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.